0: استان بریتش کولومبیا صحبت می شده به کلی منقرض شده دیگر گویش های بومی کانادا که در خطر هستن بیشتر در نواهی جنوب شرقی و قربی کشور در جوار شهرهای بزرگ قرار دارن و متعلق به بومی ها یا سرخ بوستان ساکنه مناطق هستن در مناطق oh, oh, شمالی همچنی یکتری yes. گویش شده یهیم
1: هاییم
2: یهیم یهیم
1: یهیم
2: T yeah.
0: R 101.9 vancouver
1: god damn it baby annoying la I'm only gonna tell you one time yeah. a groin grabbingly great station <laughs> Woo. Mm-hmm. Story
3: Good evening once again to Stereoscopic Readout, your source for psychedelia, garage rock, freak beat, acid punk, folk rock, some prog and other musically and socially relevant artifacts from 1965 to today with me, your host, Darren, here on 101.9 FM, CITR in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio. And I'm going to do the show I've been talking about for a few weeks now, but one thing or another kept getting in the way. And that is Boston 1965 to 1969. Uh, kind of not a. To the. I guess on a surface look of the 60s, it doesn't really. Boston doesn't really strike one as a, an epicenter for any sort of psych or underground music, but it uh, was the focus of a very controversial ad campaign mounted by MGM Records in 1967 and into 68, where they attempted to. Um, shall we say, establish a, quote, boss Town sound, uh, which backfired into 68. However, there is a plethora of really good bands that were left on record uh, for the listening and collecting public. And we're going to be listening to a few of them tonight. There's a lot which I'm not going to be able to get to. I'll list off a few of them later. But uh decided to start off with Ironically, a band that was not from Boston started off tonight with the Standells, who were from Los Angeles, uh, but their big hit, Dirty Water, which hit, I think, number 11 in 1966, was taken to Boston's breast and loved, so to speak. Uh, apparently the song is still played at Red Sox games when... Uh, at. Red Sox home games when the Red Sox win. So I uh, thought I'd start off with that vibe. But um, I'm going to start off with sort of the rock and roll garage sort of roots of the Boston scene. Because there were a number of bo- bands that did come from uh, Boston, such as the Barbarians, Teddy and the Pandas, who I'm not going to be able to get to tonight. But we there were Barry and the Remains, there were the Rock and Ramrods, and of course there were The Lost featuring... Willie Lobo Alexander. Um, Boston kind of started off as a kind of sock hop town. Um, I think a little bit of background. Boston was then a very conservative city and the music scene was basically based around the concept of the high school sock hop. When the rock and roll fans sort of matured to an age where they still wanted to go out and see bands but they were no longer in high school, they're kind of sprung up a very low-key Uh, shall we say, circuit of um, one-off club dates. There weren't actually any sort of rock and roll clubs at the time, but there were a lot of promoters who would rent out like Masonic Halls and things like that to have shows where bands like Barry and the Remains would play. This sort of set the stage to what would happen later on in 1967 when... The first Vancouver, I mean, Vancouver's, Boston's first psychedelic ballroom, the uh, Boston Tea Party would open. But uh, we're going to start off with Barry and the, ooh, excuse me, Barry and, the, oh, wait a sec. I should get more organized here. There we go, Barry and the Remains. This is Once Before.
0: I look at you Eleven rosy rainbows And my brain glows. Sun comes shining through Mystic Magic oceans Of pearls and diamonds Shining cause we're So in love Every time I think I'm on the brink Of something hard to bear all I gotta do is think of you, the sunlight in your hair, misty magic potions of girls and diamonds shining, cause we're so in love. Between us smiles, between us travel far All oh, my kisses sent by breezes brush by trees and touch your heart Mystic magic oceans of Girls and diamonds shining Girls we so in love Mystic magic, magic oceans of magic oceans Girls and diamonds shining love Holy smokes, I can't believe I'm part of the coolest club in the world. Uh, bub? Yeah? So, uh, what club is that? CITR! As a club member, I get ginormous discounts on the Friends of CITR card. Which in itself, Timmy, I must say, is pretty amazing. I get dirt cheap prices at stores and shots I'm at all the time anyway. To be honest, it feels like being in a club within a club! Wow. Hey, I want a friend's CITR card. You don't even have to be a member to get one. Although clearly, you'd be that much cooler if you were a member. Go purchase your friend's a CITR card down at CITR or at special events they sponsor such as concerts, membership drives, and shindig. I got it. It feels like having special powers. I go into stores and bam! Discounts. Tis what I said.
3: And we are back with stereoscopic readouts. Look at the Boston scene 1965 to 1969. Uh, Short set there of some of the sort of progenitors of the Boston garage rock scene, started with Burying the Remains, who... um, (laughs) Sorry, I mismarked my my notes here. Burying the Remains with, once before... Barry and the Remains, possibly best known for accompanying the Beatles on their farewell tour of the United States, playing their last, or opening their final show, their final official public performance uh, at Candlestick Park in San Francisco in 1966. Followed them with The Rock and Ramrods and a track called Bright Lit Skies, and we will hear from The Rock and Ramrods again under another name later on in the show. And then two tracks from The Lost, who were kind of... Um, an important, shall we say, transitional band for Boston. Um, played Everybody Knows and then a track called Mystic Seven Starry Skies. Two of the members of The Lost were very um, visible in many ba- many Boston bands after The Lost broke up in 1967. Willie Alexander would go on to appear in Boston. Uh, a band called ba- a multiracial band called Bagatelle and then a number of other projects until surfacing again with uh, Willie Alexander's Boom Boom Band as part of the Boston punk scene in the late 70s while Ted Myers would go on to form Chameleon Church probably best remembered for having chevy chase on drums uh and ted myers would also be involved with a third incarnation of the band ultimate spinach who we will also be hearing from later on in the show uh the lost however i mean based on the sounds you heard it probably wouldn't seem obvious but the the lost were kind of outsiders for the Boston scene, as it were, because they had kind of... Uh, they subscribed to the Rolling Stones sartorial um, sort of philosophy of just looking particularly scruffy, so everybody assumed that they were a bunch of drug addicts, and they acquired a kind of a negative name around Boston. However, that did attract a certain element of the Boston music fan, which came into, um, shall we say... Uh, Work to their advantage once the Boston Tea Party opened. The Boston Tea Party is a pretty important club, um, not just for Boston, but uh, I think for the late 60s in general. Boston Tea Party was a converted synagogue in Boston's South Side, which is a pretty dangerous thing. If you're familiar with Boston itself, the South Side is not the place in 1967 where a person would have wanted to be caught alone with long hair. <clears throat> But the Boston Tea Party was a very seminal uh, focal point for the underground music scene in um, that sort of Boston, Cambridge area. There were a lot of bands from New York City who'd come up and play. most notably uh, the Velvet Underground played there a lot. It was also the first place in North America that Led Zeppelin played. It was a sort of an import, uh, sort of a stepping stone for a lot of British bands to to sort of break into the American market. where am I going with this? Anyway, by 1967, there was enough of a music scene happening in Boston because if you think about the gen- the greater sort of northeast Massachusetts area, there are a lot of universities and post-secondary, ed- ed- post-secondary educational institutions there. There was a pretty strong folk scene there to begin with. I mean, you're also talking about the area around... It's very close to Rhode Island, where there's the Newport Folk Festival, the infamous or famous, depending on how you look at it, Newport Folk Festival. A producer for MGM by the name of Alan Lorber kind of noticed that there were were a lot of Boston bands who were doing very well in the Boston area due to this large student population, and he figured that it could be a good idea, it could be a good marketing tool to sort of lump them together and create what he and eventually did call the Boss Town Sound. Now, being with MGM, the three bands that are immediately associated with this, quote, Boss Town Sound hype campaign were the Beacon Street Union, Ultimate Spinach, and Orpheus. And we're going to listen to, I think, a couple of them anyway. Ultimate Spinach and Orpheus are actually coming later, but we're going to listen to some Beacon Street Union and then sort of look a little bit more into the hype and backlash campaigns of uh, Lorber's uh, Bostown Sound hype campaign. But right now, this is with a, an introductory recitation by producer Tom Wolfe best known for his work with Bob Dylan and the Velvet Underground from their debut album, The Eyes of the Beacon Street Union.
2: A new mystery has died, and with it spring. The last band of coastal brigands is crawling down the mountain to visit us, but it will never find the road back. Good, good, let them rot in the stifling air of their flower-spun graves. Look to another mountain far from the International Dateline. Find the desert's mystic dawn, the cave where eyes are nothing, the glacier where the living die, and there is the beauty they could never find. Look into the grave. Look into the truth that is still. Look into the land of the Prophet. Look past the living streets of Boston. Look finally into the eyes of the Beacon Street Union.
1: Yes I do do.
2: with cut-ups over a period of time, you find that some of the cut-ups seem to refer to future events. Well, we went on to exploit the potentials of the tape recorder. Now, back to modern. Cut up, slow down, speed up, run backwards, inch the tape. That means uh, working back and forth across the tape head. Hey girl. Move a little closer. Play several tracks at once. Uh, Cut back and forth between two recorders. Copyright infringement. Copyright piracy. Oh no. Press the wrong button again. So cut ups put you in touch with what you know and, and do not know that you know. Exquisite Corpse, Thursday, seven thirty
1: to nine PM on the mighty CITR radio, one oh one point nine, Vancouver. This is not all rock and roll, dude.
3: Tangerine Zoo there for, oops, oops, (laughs) yeah, gotta remember, single play, not continuous. Tangerine Zoo there, um, a band who weren't actually from Boston, or rather from uh, Swansea, Massachusetts, but uh, started off their career as a band called The Ebb Tides, and then changed their name uh, upon a move into Boston itself to The Flower Pot, however when they were signed by Mainstream Records in 1967. Um, the label suggested they changed their name to Tangerine Zoo because mentioning anything remotely associated with drugs was still quite, quite, quite taboo in those days. Um, Tangerine Zoo, however, under the name The Flower Pot, was the first band to play a free outdoor show on the Boston Commons, though. A bit of trivia there for you. Started that set with, well... One of the one of the three MGM acts um, at the center of the whole Boston Sound controversy, the Beacon Street Union, uh, the recitation which began that was by Tom Wolfe, who, if you missed it, was their producer for that album. He also produced Bob Dylan, and he had a hand in producing the first Velvet Underground album, I'm probably. I probably get my facts mixed up on that one, but uh, recitation and then the song "My Love" is followed that with front page review, uh, a song called "Valley of Eyes," and then Flat Earth Society, another band which wasn't actually from Boston itself. They were from Lynn, Massachusetts, and somewhat associated with the Boston scene, though. Um, I thought band that I thought was a studio concoction was a, a studio setup, however on reading the write-up in the Asset Archives by Paul Lundgren Lundborg, sorry, Paul L- Patrick Lundborg well, They are banned from Lynn, so um, you heard 4 and 20 from their one and only album, Waliko, which was released as a promotional item for the Waliko Chocolate Company <laughs> One of the strangest albums you're probably likely to hear. Follow them with Eden's Children and Stone Fox and then Tangerine Zoo from their second 1968 album, Outside Looking In, that was Wake Up Sun. Now I mentioned the Bostown Sound campaign was launched by Alan Lorber of MGM Records. It centered around the Beacon Street Union, Orpheus, and Ultimate Spinach. However, the main problem with that campaign was the fact that there really was no Kind of quote Boston sound. There were a lot of bands, but they didn't all have like a, a sort of a unifying sound. Not certainly not the way that the uh, Los uh, the Sunset Strip bands in Los Angeles had a recognizable sound, or certainly the multiple guitar big rock band sound of the San Francisco groups, or the Northwest sound of bands like you know the Sonics and the Kingsmen. There happened to be a lot of bands, and most ironically. A lot of these bands didn't even know each other. Um, the Flat Earth, I mean, sorry, the Beacon Street Union was signed, and they were expecting their first uh, the first ad to promote their album, "The Eyes of the Beacon Street Union," to appear in Billboard in late 1967. However, they were surprised to be confronted with the MGM, uh, the Sound Heard Around the World, the infamous Sound Heard Around the World campaign. Lumping them in with Ultimate Spinach, apparently these guys had never even heard of Ultimate Spinach, so there was certainly no sort of unifying scene, although there were a lot of bands who played around places like the Crosstown Bus or the Psychedelic Supermarket or the Boston Tea Party, um... I'm going to get back to how this really started to backfire um, after the next set of music by Ultimate Spinach. But suffice it to say, it wasn't until the summer of 68 when the rot set in. And I'm going to get to some of the backlash about that. But one of the important bands, which I did mention and I'm going to play right now. Oops. Where are we at here? There we go. So I'm going to play right now... um, and should be linked to any sort of uh, investigation of the Boston scene in the 60s, is Ultimate Spinach, and this is the lead-off track from their debut album. Mindless cretins grope through idiosyncrasy fields Up,
1: rising up, down
3: six, seven, eight, eight. back with stereoscopic readouts look at the Boston scene 1965 to 1969 here on 101.9 FM CITR uh, just a little note for you and actually it should be hmm, there's the schedule oh here it is that's not it there we go yes uh, as usual the show is on till 7:30 tonight damn that's not right <laughs> Oh, somebody's changed everything around here. There we go. As usual, we're on until 7.30 tonight when Bleak comes in and takes over with Exquisite Corpse. He is on until 9 when Ben comes in, does live from Thunderbird Radio Hell. And then at 11, between 11 and midnight, it's Hypnotic Groove. And then, actually I've just been made aware of this, uh, from midnight until 6 a.m. tomorrow morning... We have the return of oral tentacles. That's oral with an AU meaning sound, not the good kind of oral. Anyway, back to the Bostown sound here. Uh, Ultimate spinach. Sorry. Ultimate spinach band centered around Ian Bruce Douglas, a multi-instrumentalist who wrote most of the tracks and female singer, Barbara Hudson. Um, Sort of got caught up with Ellen Larber and the MGM Bostown Sound hype campaign. And unfortunately, Ian Bruce Douglas would leave after the Ultimate Spinach's second album. Uh, A third incarnation of the band was formed with the aforementioned Ted Myers from The Lost being drafted in, as well as Jeff Skunk Baxter on Guitar who would later on play with Steely Dan and I think the Doobie Brothers as well, but we won't really mention them now, shall we? By nineteen, by mid nineteen sixty eight or the summer of nineteen sixty eight, the backlash had kicked in for the um, against the Boston Sound. The funny thing about it being, as is mentioned by, oh, what's his name here. By Paul Lavelle on his excellent, excellent website, uh, The Boston Sound, sixty seven to sixty nine, uh, which is at www.punkblowfish.com backslash Bostown Sound. HTML. Or if you just look up Bostown Sound on Google, that will be the first entrance or the first uh, search result that pops up. Lavelle notes that. Not a whole lot of people bought into the Boston Sound hype, but they certainly bought into the Boston Sound backlash, and most of it was based around the fact that these bands didn't have a common, quote, sound, as, Lavelle, or as Lorber was um, promulgating, which, I mean, if you ask me, isn't really a bad thing. I mean, if you've got a whole, a whole lot of bands, the last thing, if you got a bunch of bands in a city, the last thing you really want is for, you know, 10, 15, 20 bands to sound exactly the same. But this was also in the wake of the massive um, hype campaign around the San Francisco f- sound, which started in 66-ish, and saw a lot of record label execs popping up to San Francisco to sign anything that had fingers which with which they could play a guitar, and a lot of really second-rate bands ended up getting snapped up in that campaign, and getting signed to a hell of a lot of money. So people were wary of anything that sort of smacked of hype by 1968, and unfortunately the Boston band suffered as a result of it. Um, Where are we at here? An editorial written by Don Law in Boston after dark uh, in 1968 reads as follows. No one has yet commented on what the Boston Sound promotional campaign may have done to Boston as a music center. What it has done in all likelihood is serious damage to the city and its pop music groups. If nothing in the way of lasting value is promptly forthcoming from Boston, the audience will lose interest, and consequently the promotional value of being from Boston will be lost. Even worse, being from Boston may start to evoke an "oh," another one of those response from the record-buying public, and hence the recording company executive. If this happens, being from Boston will be a stigma rather than an asset. Well, unfortunately by 1969, I said unfortunately, by 1969 that's pretty much what had happened. Many of the bands snapped up in the 1967 through 69 period, didn't really last long after 1970, and it wasn't until the punk scene exploded in the mid to late 70s that bands from Boston started reaching national national prominence again, except for one... Which unfortunately I may not probably won't have time to play tonight, and it's sort of outside the scope of the program, but we'll see. Um, Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers obviously being a notable, notable example of that or exception to that rule. But still have a lot of really good music to get through, and I'm going to start this next set off with uh, kind of a collector's favorite. This is Lazy Smoke.
2: I'm Peter Mansbridge and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver.
3: Earth Opera, there for you on Stereoscopic Readouts. Look at Boston 1965 to 1969. Earth Opera, um, before them you heard Orpheus with Can't Find the Time to Tell You and Puff with Vacuum. Started that off with Lazy Smoke from their album. I think it's their only album, Corridor of Faces and Come with the Day, but Puff, Orpheus, and Earth Opera three more MGM bands snapped up by Alan Lorber for his Bostown sound campaign. Um Puff being composed about half the members being sort of taken on from the band The Rock and Ramrods, whom I played earlier in the show tonight. If you're listening on podcast, you can Sort of go, you'll already know that. If you're tuning in and you want to hear the earlier part of the show, you go to citr.ca and go to the schedule and podcasts link. There will be Thursday, 6 to 7.30, stereoscopic readout. You will find an orange podcast link, which will lead you to all the podcasts of every show I've ever done. Uh, They expanded the server, and that's thanks to the people who donated during the funding drive back in October slash November. So thanks to you, you can have everything I've ever done on this station, for better or worse. Excuse me, Orpheus and Earthop are kind of sounding a little bit more commercial than one would expect from a promotional campaign focusing on more underground bands such as Ultimate Spinach, but uh, I guess a guy is as a guy does. Uh, Alan Larber did get his start doing Revlon ads in the 1960s. But we're running out of time here, Uh, 15 minutes left in the show, and I've still got a few bands, Ill Wind and The Freeborn to play, plus some Chameleon Church. I mentioned earlier there's a bunch of bands that I haven't been able to really track down uh, for the show, or um, I don't have time to play them, even if I have tracked them down. We're talking about bands like Eagle, Pugsley Munion, Butter, Cambridge Electric Opera Company, Fluff, The Hallucinations, and... Although it would be out of the scope of what I can, cons- or what I consider to be the scope of the program, uh, Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers. Yeah, I'd like to play them, but I'm just not going to have the time tonight. But anyway, uh, we're going to be getting to some ill wind next. Speaking of Boston, um, I want to send a shout out to our programmer Becky, who does other side of monday on mondays 6 to 7 30 p.m uh it's a really good show you should listen to it she hails from boston herself as well as her friend monica who's a friend of mine so shout out to becky and monica and i'd also like to send a shout out to my friend Lindsay in edinburgh scotland on her 40th birthday today so happy birthday anyway getting into without further ado let's listen to Some ill wind from their debut album, Flashes This Is Dark World. Sorry, it's hung up, chick. wind um another boston band but with a surprisingly more west coast sound more of a san francisco sound there and they had did have a larger sort of san francisco kind of setup with a few guitarists rather than just one anyway coming to the end of the show going to have some freeborn and some chameleon church to take you out tonight but i just wanted to mention this weekend um Saturday the 7th. No, Saturday the 7th? Yes, Saturday the 7th. Big show at Chapel Arts, which is on Dunleavy Street, just one block north of Hastings and behind the Patricia Hotel. Spindrift from Los Angeles, the Upside Down from Portland, Vancouver's own Green Hour Band, and the Blue Violets from Victoria will be playing. Um, I and Jen Smythe will be doing our west coast sonic lantern company liquid light show and we've also got some new film loops lined up for that so it's going to be a multimedia event on saturday at chapel arts again one on dunleavy one block north of hastings in behind the patricia hotel or where pat's pub is as you as you all should know and i do have a ticket plus one, two tickets for that show to the first person who calls me here at 604-822-2487. That is 604-UBC-CITR. Spindrift, the Upside Down, Green Hour Band, and the Blue Violets this Saturday night at Chapel Arts. That is essentially it for me this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with my International Women's Week special, uh, International Women's Day on Sunday the 8th. But uh, it's we're making a week out of it. Yes, we are. Anyway, here we are. Freeborn from Boston, Massachusetts. That is our look at Boston 65 to 69 here on Stereoscopic Readout, 101.9 FM CITR. See you later. <laughs>
0: And minds Minds change
1: change with them find them safe.